And tonight I want to talk with you uh, from this passage of Scripture, Galatians chapter 5. I want to begin reading at verse number uh, 16, if I could, please. Galatians 5, verse 16, the Bible says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Tonight I want to just share with you... um, From this passage of Scripture, the title of the message tonight is Mile Markers Along the Road of Life. So let's go ahead and pray together. Thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you for the opportunity once again to hear from thy word. There are many tonight who just are physically unable to be here tonight and would want to be here. There are some who for whatever reason, cannot be here. But Lord, I just thank you that you've allowed us to be able to come together. And may it be that as we've stepped out of our homes by faith to be in church, I pray that, Lord, you'd meet the needs of every heart. Speak to us tonight. Use this passage of Scripture and the words that are spoken to touch our hearts. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. From the time that our children were just little. I think Johnny was still a a baby, might have been a year old. My wife and I started going up to Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains, to vacation. Uh, Living here in Florida, um, we wanted to get away from the beach for vacation, wanted to get back up to the mountains because the biggest mountain that I had was the little incline in my driveway in, in Fort Myers, you know. And so we really enjoyed the Smoky Mountains and about every year we would go up to Tennessee into the Smoky Mountains. Our habit would be that when vacation would start, typically I'd always start on a Monday. Uh, my wife and I would get up early, probably about four o'clock. We try to get off in the road, and we try to get about three hours of dark where the kids were asleep, and it was good. And then we'd stop for breakfast, and then kind of make the rest of the way up, and it was fun. As the kids got older, we we enjoyed a lot of different signs along the road. You know, there was the as you, walk, you know, drive into a particular state, there's a state sign. We make a big deal out of that. We make a big deal out of mile markers. If we were getting ready to stop to eat or stop for gas, and we'd look at some of the different signs. It was just, it was fun and enjoyable to see some of the signs. And uh, it, it, it just, as I was reviewing this, I just brought back a lot of memories of our trips to the Smoky Mountains. But I do remember one particular trip. This wasn't a family trip. This was while I was in college 
thinking about mile markers and signs. Uh, we were, I had taken a trip home. I can't remember why I went home from school. I was a student at Bob Jones University and went home with three other of my friends. And we got home to Massachusetts. And then on the way back, we're going through and we're driving through the night in the state of Pennsylvania. And all of us, but the driver, thank God, had fallen asleep, and uh, we were just getting our shut-eye and getting ourselves prepared for the next day. And I woke up what must have been probably about two hours later, and I, you know how you just wake up and, you know, you're just kind of looking for just a moment. I'm looking at the signs, and I didn't recognize the names of any of the towns that I saw. And I, I'm looking at the, 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 the road that we're on, the particular highway, and I thought, well, I, I don't remember being on this highway before. This is the day before cell phones where you could go ahead and just kind of put the Google map in and look at where you're going. And I said, I, so the man that was driving, his name was Steve Paliuka. I said, Pags, his, that was his nickname. I said, Pags, I said, do you know where you're going? He said, yeah, of course I do. I know where I'm going. I said, we're going the wrong direction. Well, I woke everybody up in the back seat, and I just made a big squabble over this. We finally pulled over, and we got to one of those rest areas where they had a map. And I love it when it says, you're here. And we should have been here. I said, Pags, what are you doing, man? You didn't read the signs. Well, I'm going to tell you something. As a Christian, there's a lot to be said about the mile markers on the road of life. As you and I walk along in this life, hopefully you're going to see evidences of how well you are living for Jesus and what your life is amounting to. The passage of Scripture that we read here tonight points out to us very detailed mile markers that should be evident in our lives and produced in the life of every born-again believer. These mile markers show, I believe, that you and I are moving in the right direction. Yet they also show mile markers, we read them, that ought not to be along the road of a Christian's life. These mile markers show that we're moving in the wrong direction. Now, as we read these tonight, I want you to notice here, verses 19 through 21 is a list that is given to us, the wrong road markers. Verses 22 to 24, if you will, are what is given to us a list of the right road markers, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's compare these for just a moment by way of introduction. The first list, verses 19 to 21, is known as works. They are the works of the flesh. The second list is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit names these things. Those things that we do of the flesh, they're generated by our own works, those things that are to be produced in us are produced not by our flesh, but by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting as you read through, and I'd encourage you to do a little deeper study on the works of the flesh, the works are attributed to the flesh because they, are, they cause division. In fact, if you look at every one of the words, there are 17 particular works of the flesh that are given there. And eight of those 17 have something to do with divisiveness. In other words, look with me for just a moment here at some of these. In verse 20, the words hatred, 
variance, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. You get the idea? No wonder why we have problems in church when people don't live in the fruit of the Spirit and they live under the works of the flesh. And those things cause division. Another comparison I like to make here is the works of the flesh are a list with no unifying principle. In other words, the only thing that brings all of these things together is what we call sin. But now compare that with the fruit of the Spirit. It is that which is produced by the Spirit of God. While works kill, while works divide, fruit is that which implies growth in a person's life. It implies life. And the fruit of the Spirit forms a whole unit. I want you to notice we never refer to this as the fruits of the Spirit, plural. Instead, it is singular, the fruit of the Spirit. Because when a person displays this fruit in his life, he is showing a completeness of what the Spirit of God is doing. And yet the biggest difference that I see in this is very simple. The works of the flesh, that's what I'm doing in my own flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is that which the Spirit of God produces in me. Let's take a moment and just focus here on the fruit as the good mile markers in my journey of life, and let's see what God is attempting to try to do in my life. Number one, first of all, how do I know that I'm traveling in the right direction? All right, if we're talking about mile markers along the road of life. How do I know I'm traveling in the right direction? Or in other words, how does the Holy Spirit produce this fruit in my life? Well, there's three things for you and I to note. First of all, there is a partnership. That partnership is between you as the believer and the Holy Spirit. When I read these verses here, I note something very interesting, especially in verse number 17. Notice, for the flesh lusteth against the, what's the next word? Spirit. And notice, spirit is capital S. This is not just my human spirit. This is referring to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, lusteth against the flesh here. Verse 18, but if you be led of the Spirit, again, capital S. Verse number 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, referring to that third person of the Trinity. What am I getting at here? This is a partnership. If I'm going to go where God wants me to go and do what He wants me to do, there has to be a partnership with the Holy Spirit. Notice the phrases and words that are used in the passage of Scripture that we read here. Notice here this partnership in verse 16, walk in the Spirit. Look at verse 18, be led of the Spirit. Verse 25, notice this, live in the Spirit. Verse 25, walk in the Spirit. You know what all this indicates? That there's a living, vibrant relationship between you and the Spirit of God. If anything's going to be accomplished in your life, it's not that we come back and go, oh, bravo, look at what brother so-and-so did, or look at what sister so-and-so did. No, no. Everything that takes place in your life is because you are cooperating with the Spirit of God. I think with, uh, when I was, uh, my, the, our kids, again, uh, there's some illustrations I've had about our kids growing up. I remember our house in Fort Myers, 
And I would get out and, and I would weed the flower beds and I'd have the boys come on and help me. I said, all right, all right, now John and James, I want you to take this flower bed right here and pull all the weeds. And I'd show them how to pull the weeds properly. And, and I'd say, now, do you understand? Yes, sir. And, hey, you know, they're four or five years old. And so anyways, I'd go to another part of the house and not even five minutes later, all of a sudden they'd wander their way over to me. I said, now, boys, I said, did you finish what I asked you to do? Yeah. So we'd go back, and I'd, I'd look, you know, and I'd, no, we, we didn't see that weed right there. See that weed right there? And so, again, I'd show them. I said, now, we need to get all these weeds. Don't pick the flowers, but we need to get all these weeds. And so I'd instruct them again, and then I'd go back to my little spot, and sure enough, about three minutes later, all of a sudden, they come over to me. And I found out over time that really what they wanted was they wanted to work with me. So when I picked up on that, I said, I'll tell you what, boys, let's do this. Let's work on this flower bed together. And so we'd work together, and I'd show them how to pull, and we'd, we'd accomplish the job. That's the idea of what the Spirit of God wants to do. He wants to partner with you. You see, you can't do everything in this Christian life. God didn't intend for you to live this as a solo Christian. But that's why the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, because there is a partnership, and you are to work with the Spirit of God. The Spirit-filled life is a life of working in harmony with the Holy Spirit. So number one, there's a partnership, but notice there is a plan. What's the plan? Very simple. You read this passage of Scripture, and here's what I get. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. Read John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, those chapters that talk to us about the Holy Spirit. And what are they sharing here? The Holy Spirit's been given to us to teach us, to guide us, to bring conviction, to show us the right way, to bring us to the truth. And therefore, if I'm going to be guided, if I'm going to be brought to the truth, I need to follow His leading in my life. Do you sense when the Holy Spirit's talking to you? Do you sense when he's using the word of God and he's saying, that's true, you got to follow that? Or when a preacher is standing behind the pulpit and the preacher starts talking about something and the Spirit of God whispers in your ear and says, you better listen, you better listen right now. The plan of, the, of walking here is this aspect of following his leading in our life, that is walking in the Spirit. You see, sometimes we read this passage of Scripture, and here's what we get of the plan. Oh, i got to focus on fruit bearing. All right, today, uh, Sunday, this is a day that I'm going to produce love in my life. Or this is a day that I'm going to produce joy in my life. Or this is a day that I'm going to produce, and we start thinking about all the fruit. And there's nothing wrong with concentrating on those things. But I'm going to tell you this. Here's God's plan. You yield to the Holy Spirit when there is a situation with another person, when you want to go ahead and hate that person, follow the Holy Spirit's leading to love that person. When there's a circumstance that goes on in your life and you want to get down in the dumps, start thinking here about the Holy Spirit saying to you, I'm using this in your life. I'm trying to help you here. And therefore, if you follow the Holy Spirit's leading, He'll produce that joy in your life. 
Now, a lot of times when you pick up commentaries and you read through Galatians chapter 5 and they begin explaining this passage, yes, there is a lot to be said, but they'll expound greatly on all these particular fruits that are mentioned. And I want to tell you something, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But if you would yield you to the Holy Spirit and you would walk in the Spirit, there'd be something beautiful that would happen. Number three, I want you to notice this, and that is that there is a progression. There's a progression. Well, the plan is walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, but there's a progression to this walking. I want you to follow this with me for just a moment. Please look at verse number 16. Notice here how it says, walk. You see that there? Walk in the Spirit. Now, verse 18, it says that we are to be led of the Spirit. Verse number 25, it uses again the word walk in the Spirit. So let's have in verse 16, walk. Verse 18, led. Verse 25, walk. All of these are within the context of our partnership with the Spirit of God. But I want you to notice the progression of these words. Verse number 16, the word walk means to walk in such a way that I order my life to please God. I make sure that I line my life up in such a way that God gets the glory in my life, that God is pleased with what's going on. That's the word walk here when it says walk in the Spirit. Notice in verse number 18, the word led. It means to bring or carry or show the way. And then look at verse number 25. Now here's the word walk again. Now, same English word as verse 16, but it is a different Greek word that is used, and it means to go step by step in a straight line. It is marching in a rank and file with the one leading. Literally, this word walk in verse number 25 is a military term. Now, if I take these three words and I put them together, the word walk, the word led, and the word walk again in verse number 25, how does that help me with the production of the fruit? Well, I must realize, first of all, I cannot bear the fruit on my own. Therefore, if I cannot bear the fruit on my own, and I am told to bear fruit, I've got to figure out how do I do that. Well, I begin conducting my life in an orderly fashion that pleases God. Then I put myself under His authority and leadership, and He leads me and takes me the path that He desires. And when my life is orderly fashioned according to His plan, and it pleases Him, and I'm being led by the Spirit of God, therefore I am I'm going to the beat of his drum, and I begin yielding fruit. That is that partnership with the Spirit of God as we go on. Now, let me take another major point here. How do I read the mile markers? Again, I'm not going to get into the works of the flesh. I'm going to basically just stay in verses 22 to 23. But let's, let's, let's talk about what the fruit is not. How do I read these mile markers? All right, the love, joy, peace. Well, let's talk about what they're not. First of all, fruit bearing in my life is not the same as your spiritual gift. Now, a number of weeks ago in one of our connection group classes, uh, uh, Brother Keith had talked about from Romans chapter 12 about the gifts of the Spirit and 
we went, many of you went through, I hope, and uh, went through and took that little test and maybe found out what, what, was, what was the uh, gift that God has given to you to use for the local church. Well, what are spiritual gifts? Well, first of all, you find the spiritual gifts listed in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4. There are particular motivational or equipping gifts that are given. There are service gifts like uh, exhortation or giving or service or mercy. Now, I, I, I want to say to you, as wonderful and as necessary as the spiritual gifts are to the body of Christ, spiritual gifts are not intended and they're not given by God for you to use as a measuring tool of how spiritual you really are. You see, a lot of people say to themselves, Oh, my. That man teaches that class. He's a good teacher. Wow, he must be spiritual. How many have been around in church long enough to know that sometimes you might have a teacher that's been teaching the Word of God and is eloquent in what he says, but he's living in sin during the week? He's got problems in his life. Or that's happened to a preacher, or that's happened to so-and-so. So, God never gave you spiritual gifts to use as a barometer and go, wow. Look at that spiritual gift. I mean, there's great spiritual gifts that are given, but it's not to be used as a measuring tool. There are people that are going to stand out in front. There are some that are going to administer. That is, they're going to rule, as the King James Bible says. They're going to be able to lead a group, and we might say to ourselves, wow, that's a spiritual man. No, no, don't judge spirituality on the fact that they're out front leading. Or a preacher stands up to preach, or a teacher stands up to teach before a class. Don't use those things as a measuring tool. Because sadly, these gifts can be operated in the flesh. Even fleshly, carnal believers display gifts because God has given a gift to every person who's a believer. We can substitute our gift for thinking that we're spirit-filled when we're really not. I don't have time to look at it tonight, but if you were to go back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23, much is said in that passage of Scripture about Jesus telling us to watch out for those who substitute their gifts for fruit. Be careful of that. Number one, fruit is not equivalent to spiritual gifts, so don't equate this with spiritual gifts. Number two, the fruit is not equivalent to natural talent, natural talent. You know, in a number of churches that I've been in over the years, I've been amazed at how much natural talent people have. Now, this natural talent, we're talking different than spiritual gifts. I'm talking about things that people have as an ability. I have known in churches that I've been a part of, women who have had such an ability to counsel other women and teach them how to live godly uh, lives, I've been amazed sometimes at their skill. I've been amazed at various churches that I've been a part of that there's been a particular man with a sharp business background who is able to do certain things with finances and people might just herald this man as a great gift to the local church. I've known people who are children magnets. And boy, they get around children and they just love children and they meet the need in a children's ministry and everybody thinks, wow, that person's the greatest thing for this church since sliced bread. I mean, that, that person's great. Or a person may get up on stage and sing so beautifully. 
a great talent that is given, and we might marvel at that person. But again, I hasten to say this to you. None of those things are a gauge for a person's spirituality. Fruit is not to be equated in the same vein as a natural talent. When you and I use the criteria of talent for spirituality, we begin causing division in the church. Because we start saying, well, boy, all the people that can sing now, those are the special people. Or all the people that can do this, those are the special people. I want to just tell you something. As God is working in your life, you may not feel like you have many talents. You may not feel like you're gifted in such a way. But I'm telling you, God can use every one of you if you walk in the Spirit and you live in the Spirit. Most of the time, churches are not lacking in talent. But they are lacking in people who are bearing fruit in their lives. Now, let me just go ahead and close out with this last point. What mile markers should we see? What mile markers should we see? Well, I think to see all this in context, looking at verses 22 to 23, to me there's two overall comments that I want to make. First of all, what sets that which is fruit apart from that which is not fruit is not based on surrounding circumstances. In other words, no matter what happens around a person or in a person's life, fruit will still be born. A person will continue to bear fruit even if things are going bad in their life. It's one thing for a person to have peace and joy when everything's well. But it's a whole other thing for a person to have peace and joy when the bottom of their life falls out. And it's important to know that. To me, when I think about the fruit bearing and how those things are done internally, and many times we don't see that on the outside, it helps me distinguish the reality of fruit bearing. In other words, I'm going to see possibly the difference between those that are spirit-filled and those that just act nice on the outside. Because you get them in their other circumstances, and boy, they're a grouch to be around. Or it helps me distinguish from spirit-filled people from those who just play the part. Oh, how many times people come in in church on Sunday, and wow, they just look like they're the greatest thing for the local church. Got a big smile on their face, dressed a certain way, offering to do everything for the church. But I'll tell you, the rest of the week, they're living for the devil. That's, that, 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 again, a person that's bearing fruit in their life is going to be consistent all the way through. It helps explain to me why wonderful people sometimes can turn into mean people. It explains why people sometimes go off the deep end because they've not really been bearing fruit as they ought to. But now I want you to see, and let's get into this for just a moment in closing. Let's see these, this fruit of the Spirit characterized this way. And I want to break them up into three different groups. First of all, I'm going to take the first three and talk about the attributes that we ought to display. The attributes that we ought to display. What are the mile markers that should be in your life? Well, first of all, attributes, number one, love. Now, this word for love, out of all the other Greek words, and there are a lot of Greek words for love, 
You know, we use love today for a lot of different things. You might say, well, I love my spouse. And then go home and eat and say, man, I love pizza. I mean, we just, we use the word love for a lot of different things. But in the Greek language, that love is expressed for different areas here. And the Greek word for love that is used here is a love of choice. It's not a love that's based on emotion. It's not a love that is based on circumstances, but it is rooted in a deep commitment that leads a person to do whatever it takes to serve the other person. That's love. Love serves. Love gives. Love comes to the rescue and helps. This love involves a sacrifice, a self-denial. Why sometimes relationships break apart is because there isn't that type of love that's there. It is not the only type of love needed in marriages, but it is needed in the workplace. It is a love that's needed in the local church. It is a love that's needed in the home. Wherever you go, this type of love here, this self-sacrificing love has to be something produced by the Spirit because I can tell you during the course of a week sometimes I don't feel that type of love. Do you? It's not always there. Number two attribute is joy. Again, a gift from God, not the world. Why is it that people are looking to get their happiness from circumstances? Why is it that people are looking to get their happiness from the latest thrill? Why people go to amusement parks because they say, oh man, I want to be happy, or they're going to take off for the weekend just so I can be happy, or they're doing this just to get happiness. I want to tell you, they're basing their happiness, and that's what it is, is based on circumstances, but joy is not based on my surroundings. It is a gift from God. It is a true happiness that is based on eternal and unchanging spiritual realities, not on the changing winds of time and circumstances. You ought to be able to get joy out of reading the Scriptures. You ought to get joy out of singing the songs that we sing in church. Those words that we sing ought to really melt your heart and cause you to rejoice before the Lord at what He's doing in your life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see Him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, we don't see Christ right now. We don't know. We can't even fathom all that's in heaven. But I'll tell you what, the fact that you know Him in here, and you get into His Word, and you begin chewing on some of the wonderful truths of the spiritual realities that we have, and there's a cause for joy. You ought to walk out of here, even if you're 75 years old, have a little spring in your step. All right? I don't suggest both feet going off the floor at one time, but do the best you can, all right? But have a little spring in your step because there's the joy of the Lord that's being produced in your life. Number three attribute, notice peace. The word literally here, peace, means that which is bound together. I love that word and its meaning because when all seems to be falling apart on you, there can be a peace that keeps you together. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, be careful for nothing. The idea here is don't get worried, don't get bothered and anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, when you do that, here's what God does. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, just like joy, peace is not related to circumstances. But it is rightly being related to the one who can give peace. So these are attributes, characteristics that should be in my life. Number two category that I like to look at is attitudes that I ought to have. Notice the next three words here, beginning in verse number 22, long-suffering, first of all. Well, long-suffering is not a word we may use all the time, but I think we understand its meaning if we take the two parts of the word and put them together. The idea of suffering long. It is a willingness, if you will, to patiently endure wrong and ill treatment without retaliation. That's the word long-suffering. Now, many times, some modern translations may use the word patience. I really, I like the word long-suffering. It's a very powerful word. It is a word that has the idea of a willingness to accept irritable and painful situations. I guarantee if I asked you here today, How many of you have gone through irritable or painful situations? Every hand would go up. You've had to learn what it means to suffer long. You've had to learn what it means to to endure patiently through what you think is wrong or ill treatment. You've had to trust God through that. That's the attitude that God's trying to produce in you. When you partner with the Holy Spirit and you follow His leading in your life, He's going to allow something to happen. He's saying, all right, I'm, I'm teaching you some, some long-suffering now, I'm teaching you some patience. Notice the next word is the word gentleness, another attitude. Gentleness is a treatment of others with tenderness, just like the Lord treats us. Could you say with me tonight that the Lord treats you gently? Sure He does. I love the way the book of Isaiah talks about it. He doesn't come and and hurt us in any way. You read Isaiah chapter 55, there's a powerful thing to be said about how the Lord deals with us, especially when we've done wrong. I love it when Jesus went back to Peter after Peter said, hey, I'm not going to deny you. And then he denied him. The Lord didn't come with a billy club after Peter. The Lord didn't chew him out, use certain language and say, Peter, you know, I, I, just, I just don't know if you're going to make it. Now, the Lord gently brought him to himself and gave him a calling. And why you're able to read Peter in the first several chapters of the book of Acts and why Peter wrote two astounding books in the New Testament is because the Lord gently went to him. And drew him to himself in his time of need. I think that gentleness is the same kind that Jesus showed to the little children in Matthew 19. It says, And there were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. 
The disciples rebuked them, but Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus dealt gently. That's the way you and I need to be. Oh, there may be some situations at home, in church, wherever it may be, that you may just want to lash out, but hopefully you're walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and following His leadership, and you begin responding gently. How about number three attitude? Goodness. Goodness. I like to say goodness is almost the, like the very practical side of love. It's love in action, if you will. Showing goodness. Do we not have a story about a man who walked by a person that was left along the roadside for dead? And that story has been known for centuries as the good Samaritan. That man loved him. Now, we use love. Remember, love now is not an emotional word. That man, that Samaritan, probably never met this person. Couldn't say he had any feelings. But the love was a choice. And that love was didn't just say, well, I, boy, I, I love that man. I sure hope he finds some help. No, no. That love showed it in goodness, in action. And he stooped down to help him and took him on his way. Lastly, I want you to notice these remaining three here are ambitions that I ought to follow after. Ambitions that I ought to follow after. First of all, in this package of three, notice there is faith. Faith. Now, the word faith can be defined a lot of different ways, but it is a loyalty and a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice this passage is talking to believers, so it's not talking about the faith that we have at salvation. We have a faith at salvation, that we believe that Jesus is the only way, that I'm a sinner, that He can wash my sins away. But once a person has placed that initial faith in Christ, now, as we walk through this Christian life, what takes place? That faith begins to be displayed in my life. I begin to show in the various things that happen in my life, faith in God. Some of you have had to have faith in God about decisions you've made. Some of you have had to have faith in God about coming to this church and deciding to be here. Some of you have had to have had faith in God about, uh, about a ministry to get involved in. And any number of areas and circumstances have gone through your life, you've had to demonstrate that faith and that trust in God. And that's an ambition that I ought to follow after to have that faith. I want to be a person of faith. I want God to stretch my faith and help me in that area. Notice the second ambition is that of meekness. The word meekness is literally an acceptance of God's will and dealing in my life without rebellion and argument. Now, sometimes people equate meekness with weakness. They say, well, you know, if you just kind of, you accept all the problems that come along and you don't argue about anything, you're just nothing but a little doormat. No, meekness is not the same as weakness. Meekness is very similar to taking an animal that is out in the wild like a horse and taking that horse and training that horse 
to where that horse, with all of the muscles that it has, that horse now has been tamed and is under control. That horse with a little kick could hurt somebody badly. But that horse now has been trained in such a way that all of that strength that it has is under control. You and I have the ability and the strength and the power to hurt people, to say things, to do things. And meekness is that power under control because you're accepting everything as from God. God's taking care of you. You know, the Bible says in Numbers chapter 12 that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. How would you like to be with about a million complaining Israelites in the wilderness? No food, no water, problem, 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 blah, 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 the complaining, everything else. And when they came after him, and they accused him, and they second-guessed his leadership and his choice of a wife, and on and on it goes. This man accepted it all because he felt that God was working with him in his life. Powerful. Last word here is the word temperance. Now again, many modern translations, and I do not like this, use the word self-control. It's not a self-control. In other words, this is not me controlling my passions. Temperance is a control of the Spirit of God of my passions. Because I'll be honest with you, if I try to control them, I about lose every time. I depend on the Spirit of God to help me. It's a restraining, yes. It's a restraining of the flesh. It's a restraining of the appetites. But I'm telling you, it is impossible to do without the Spirit's control. Now tonight in closing, can I just ask you this? Is, are, is your life tonight characterized by the fruit of the Spirit or by the works of the flesh? Only you can answer that. But right now, God's talking to you. The Spirit of God is sharing with you and saying, this is some stuff that you need to develop in your life. This, these are things that I want to do, but right now you've been a little resistant. And I hate to say it, many times we are rebellious against the Lord. We're resistant because every week, every day, there are circumstances God's bringing in your life to help you to be conformed more to the image of His dear Son. And He's wanting and desiring to produce that fruit but sometimes we're holding back. I want you to look, if, we, if you will, as I close here tonight, look at the works of the Spirit, if, or works of the flesh, I'm sorry, in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse number, or, or the fruit of the Spirit. Notice this. Instead of love, are you being hateful? Instead of joy, are you always depressed? Instead of displaying peace, are you stressed? And as you follow along the remaining six fruit here, notice, are you impatient? 
Are you rude? Insensitive? Backstabbing? Rough? And controlled by your passions and emotions? Do people see in you the attitudes, the attributes, and and ambitions that you are a spirit-filled person? If you say, preacher, I got some work to do. Well, that's why we've got this theme this year, growing in grace. God desires that you grow. And tonight, I challenge you to make some decisions to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit.